Blog Talk Radio. to do a few uh, online studies that are related to uh, what we're covering during our uh, midweek Bible study. Um, Today we'll look at uh, the end times uh, and having the right heart. Just some groundwork, uh, some heart issues that are are really critical. Love edifies, knowledge uh, can puff up, so we uh, we just want to have the right heart attitude as we approach these things. So a few things about having the right heart. The Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, uh, to respect God to honor Him, to fear Him as our Father in Heaven, to obey Him uh, in all things. That is the true beginning of wisdom, not our book studies, uh, not our reading of books, or uh, even memorizing the Bible. Um, Obviously, we want to do that. But uh, in our hearts, uh, God desires desires for us as his children, to fear him and respect him and to give him uh, the rightful place uh, as our creator, as our father. So we begin with the fear of the Lord. And the other thing uh, mentioned already is that without love, we, we are nothing. So, you know, look, we could know all things about prophecy we could have our timeline all figured out, but uh, if we don't have love, we are nothing. So we want to keep uh, these two things, you know, in our minds, uh, keep it in prayer. Fearing God, loving God, loving other people are key things that we, we must have uh, all the time as Christians. A humble yet confident approach to watching. So when it comes to the study of end times, I I think this is a good little phrase to have, a humble yet confident approach to watching. First of all, humble. What do we we mean by uh, a, a humble approach to watching? Well, uh, I'm just going to give you a few points. I think there could be uh, a number of things that could be said. I mean, of course, as a Christian, humility is a, a desired thing. Um, but when it comes to uh, end times studies, we have to be honest. Uh, there there are various systems. Uh, there are a lot of definitions. I just put a, up a bunch of definitions. Uh, well, not definitions, but terms. Um onto the screen, and 
it, 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 people define these uh, terms in different ways. Um, th- there's different views about um, these terms. People see uh, the timing in the fulfillment of uh, these terms to be different. Uh, There's just, honestly, there's a lot of ways of of looking at these things. Now, we know, obviously, God has an intended goal, and he wants to teach us truth, and and, uh, so we need to study. But I, I just think when something is not so black and white, and you have a lot of godly men and women uh, on both sides of the spectrum, wrestling with these things, that it, it's it's wise to be humble and to listen to uh, other people and their views about um, you know some of these things, these terms here, and and how they relate one to another. These ideas, but on top of that. Uh, we have from the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation uh, 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 something that I think should cause us to be humble. The idea of revelation is apocalypsis and, uh, in the Greek, and, and, and it means unveiling. And just as maybe this uh, man in the picture is going to pull the sheet off of the statue... Uh, little by little, the statue will become revealed. And most people won't know what's behind uh, the, uh, the the veil there, the, the sheet, <laughs> uh, uh, until it's, it's brought forth. I mean, they have probably a general idea, but um, you just don't know. And so Revelation is about the unveiling of the Lord Jesus Christ and the, the unveiling of the revealing of the mysteries of God. Uh, The book of Daniel um, talks about this in that uh, at the end of the book, the Lord tells Daniel to to seal up uh, the message of the book. And, you know, there were parts of it um, that were intended for the latter days, and then they would be revealed. So, again, we need to have a humble approach simply because things are being uh, unveiled. Whether or not they're being unveiled at the present moment is, is I guess, up for debate. Um, but the Bible is clear that there will be things that are hidden that get revealed. And, and I would add, it, it's revealed to the, the friends of God. And it's why we want to be humble and fear God and love Him. Um, what about confident confident. We want to have a humble yet confident approach uh, to studying the end times. Well, we have reason to be confident uh, looking at John chapter 16, verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, Jesus speaking to his disciples, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. So the Helper, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, Jesus says he's going to come, and he's going to tell you 
things to come. Now, knowing God's heart, that he wants to reveal himself to people, uh, that then gives us confidence that, hey, God does want to speak to us and show us what is to come, that we're not left out in the dark. Another reason to be confident is based upon uh, this scripture in Ecclesiastes, chapter 1. That which has been is what will be, and that which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new? It has already been in ancient times before us. There's nothing new under the sun. And uh, the Bible follows a pattern. There's a heartbeat to it. And uh, we can have a confidence that... Uh, we'll know what is to come because it's already happened. And the more we know Scripture, the more we know the patterns of Scripture and what God is doing and what he's working out, uh, then we'll be able to, to see it. We'll have eyes to see and ears to hear. So this gives us great confidence. But now the v- next verse in Ecclesiastes pulls us back to the position of humility in that it says this, There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. This verse almost speaks as a judgment. People just won't remember what God has already declared. And that is a phrase that you see often in the Bible. God says to his people, don't you remember what I've declared from the beginning. So, uh, just a quick recap. Having the right heart. We always want to have the fear of the Lord. This is the beginning of wisdom. We want to remember that without love, we are nothing. And we want to have a humble, yet confident approach to watching. Uh, On our knees our faces to the ground, but with our hearts looking to the hills, knowing that our Father uh, wants to speak to us. So um, we'll uh, we'll move on and talk about some uh, methodology and an approach to looking at uh, Bible prophecy. Okay, we've come to our second study on the end times. We're going to look at methodology, which can be defined as a system of methods used in a particular area of study or activity. Now, when we come to the Bible, we need to read it uh, as God gave it to us, uh, as a book. And so we read it like any other book. And if we're studying a particular chapter or passage, uh, we need to uh, get a full understanding of what the author's intention was. What did he intend to write to the audience at that time? So that means we we need to understand uh, the people involved, uh, places, times, cultural setting, uh, understand the words that are being used, everything that we can we can study to understand the author's uh, original intent. But 
on top of that, and, and this is important for uh, our study of the end times, uh, there are other things that we can uh, bring to the table. So let's take a look here at the nature of time. There's two basic views about the nature of time. There is the Eastern view of time, which is cyclical. And then there is the Western view of time, which is linear. The Hebraic uh, view of time is a combination of the two. And you can see this in this picture. We have this spiral staircase, which clearly has a cycle, but it's also ascending or descending. There's a linear aspect to the staircase. The book of Ecclesiastes says, that which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said? See, this is new. It has already been in ancient times before us. So in this verse, you see there's the, the cyclical nature about uh, you know, nothing is new under the sun, but you also have the, the linear uh, aspect of time being spoken about. Now also in the book of Ecclesiastes, over in chapter 3, this comes from the Septuagint, Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. It says, I know that whatsoever things God has done, they shall be forever. It is impossible to add to it, and it is impossible to take away from it. And God has done it, that men may fear before him. That which has been is now, and whatever things are appointed to be have already been. And God will seek out that which is past. Very, very interesting verse from the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, let's consider a few things about the nature of God. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I'll give some scripture references. You could pause to look them up or jot them down to look them up later. The Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He does not change. When he speaks, he speaks truth, and that truth will endure forever. He is not a liar who would change. And his word will never pass away. Even if heaven and earth were to pass away, his word will not. Another aspect of his word is that when he speaks, he speaks in such a way that it accomplishes that which he pleases. Let's take a closer look at this verse here, Isaiah 55, verse 10. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returned, returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing 
where to I send it. So here we see a, a, a cyclical nature of God's word in that he speaks, it goes forth, it accomplishes what he desires, it brings forth fruit, and then that fruit, that fruit is returned unto him. Another graphic sort of showing what we're talking about is this. In a linear fashion, there is a purpose to the Word of God. It it goes out. But at the same time, we have this cyclical nature of time where there are patterns and there are repetitions to what God has spoken. Now, Another way of looking at this, but to pull out the idea of time and simply to look at patterns, is is the uh, this this idea here that I've put forth of the fractal nature of the Bible. Yes, that is broccoli. <laughs> when we talk about the fractal nature of the Bible. Um, what we're getting at is, is is this. The broccoli displays this. If you were to take a, a cluster of broccoli and break off one of the, the stalks and then lay it next to the cluster, you'll notice that the stalk is simply a smaller version of the cluster. And then if you were to take the stalk that was broken off and break a stalk off of it, it would be a tiny version of the stalk that was broken off, which is simply a version of the cluster. They're all alike. They're slightly different, but they're just smaller versions of one another. That is, uh, in mathematics, the idea of a, a fractal. A couple verses from the Bible. Second Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Matthew 4.4, 4, but he, Jesus, answered and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So thinking about the idea of fractals and what Timothy speaks here about all scripture being given by the inspiration of God. We could say this, that every book, every chapter, every sentence, every word, every letter is the bread of life. It's the, the word of God. It's fractal in nature. And it brings life to every bit of scripture that we read and we meditate upon. It's, it's all speaking uh, the voice of God. It speaks of a story. So going back to where we began in regards to our study of prophecy. Number one, we always get into chapters, get into verses and try to understand the author's intention. We need to understand the context, the people, the places, and, and just understand it like we would try to understand any other book. But 
on top of that, we also understand that God chases after that which has been, that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's declared it all from the beginning. And so there is this, yes, movement through time, but a repetition that we have in the Bible. And so every book, every chapter, every sentence, every word, every letter tells the story. Brother Paul De Silva in our church uh, wrote this up. We believe that the Bible is designed to be something much greater. The Word is meant to reveal deep and all-encompassing truth to those who love God and, to, and desire to know Him. If this is true, then every word, every character, and every story matter. The Word is an interconnected and living organism, a heart beating to the divine rhythm with the very truth of God woven into the fabric of every psalm, every epistle, and every history. God has designed the Word so that a little child can rejoice in the simplicity of the truth, but also so that those who hunger to know the God of the universe, His plans, His working, His heart, His ways, can search deeply and be completely immersed in Him. Amen to that. We're on to uh, the next study uh, of our end time study, and we're going to look at problems uh, of interpretation uh, this time. I had mentioned in our last study that um, we were looking at, at an example, that being the Exodus, but uh, I think it'll be better to, to look at some of the potential uh, problems, pitfalls that we can uh, get trapped in, and um, that'll probably lead up to the next study uh, a little bit better. Uh, Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 7, Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So, using this verse here could uh, come across as you know, maybe being very harsh, uh, and that's not at all my intention. I, I 
uh, the, here's a verse that um, Jesus makes clear that the teaching of man, the teaching of men, traditions, systems of thought, um, superseded, went above the clear teaching of God. Now, I think that we can do that ourselves when it comes to the study of prophecy. Earlier in our study, I referred to this book. It's a, uh, debating various positions of the rapture. It's kind of hard to see in the picture, but they debate the pre-trib position, the pre-wrath position, and the post-trib position. Now, I've put here on the screen, um, and this would be a problem, there are limited views of the end times. Now, understood, we want to come to a place where we get a clear understanding, and so, you know, the goal is to have a view. Um, but I think we can limit ourselves. So, for example, when I first became a Christian and studied, started to study these things over 25 years ago uh, as concerning the rapture, there was really only three positions that were talked about, pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib. Well, I quickly had felt that mid-trib and post-trib would be uh, positions where you could figure out the timing of the rapture, and so just very quickly I fell to the pre-trib position. Um, what I've come to learn over the years is that there's a lot of other views and other views that uh, have some very good, valid points to them. So I, I I guess I don't remember in reading this book, and I'm going to try to pull it out and find out if, if this is the case, but if they only present these three views, then they're limiting the views, and um, do, we're not leaving it open to other positions. Or, or, you know, earlier we said we want to be humble about these things, and you know, there's a lot of confusion, and so humility is a good position to take. And and so, what if um, what if it's not one of these three, but they're presenting only these three? Well, it'd be very easy to read a book about prophecy, and this could set you off, and you know, for years of study about these three, and when all along, uh, it was actually another position that was correct. So, that is one problem. We we have a limited view. And so we want to be humble and open to various views. At the end of the day, it's what the scriptures that say, not the traditions, the, you know, the, the, the teachings of men. We need to hold, I think we all hold to that, but we can easily fall into a state where we, um, we end up believing the traditions or the systems of men uh, over the Bible. I think that's a real possibility. Next problem is this. Uh, you've all seen, you know, jigsaw puzzles. This is a picture puzzle, and so you get your puzzle, dump out the pieces. You got the box top there with the picture, and so now you know where to to work, and you set the borders up, and you start working your way. And uh, so you have something very clear in your mind. We all do this with prophecy. Often we have a particular position that we hold to, maybe the timing of the rapture or who the beast is, or and we have everything laid out, 
before we really have a good grasp of all of the scriptures. Now, that obviously, none of us is going to have a solid grasp of every scripture. But very early on in my Christian walk, I took a position on the rapture, on who the Antichrist was and, and all that stuff. And, you know, I didn't know a thing about scripture. So uh, what I was doing then was I I had a a box top picture that I had in my mind of the way things should fit together. And now when I read Joel or I read Exodus or I read Second Thessalonians, it had to fit the picture that I had in my mind. Uh, the problem is, is when you get to scriptures and you got a puzzle piece and it just doesn't fit. And I, 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 the truth is, is there's many verses like that in all the systems. It just, there's a verse that just doesn't seem like it fits together. So, uh, this is a problem as well. Sort of having it all mapped out in our minds and then taking that picture that we have to the scriptures. Now, another problem that I see uh, is this here. And, uh, there's laws that we create. I just read a, uh, I guess it was almost 50-page paper about uh, the law of the near and far fulfillment of prophecy. And the idea is basically this, that if there's a prophecy in the Old Testament, I have this cursor here, and let's say you're a person and you're not as as high as this wave, you're maybe only this high. Well, at your time, when when there was a prophecy made, all you would see is the prophecy in front of you, sort of this mound. But there's the near and the far fulfillment of prophecy. So it might have been a prophecy that was stated back then, but it would be fulfilled over here way in the future with Christ. There's the near and the far. Now, that's a good concept, I think. I mean, it's helpful, but it's limited once again, because as we're studying about prophecy being cycles, what about in between? What if really this sine wave goes up and down and up and down, and that would be a modulated wave. There's, there's all kinds of ups and downs, crests along the way, and uh, until you get to that ultimate fulfillment. So this is, again, a limited view. And, and the truth is, is I don't know if there's anything in the Bible that says there's the principle or the law of the near and far. So we need to be careful of this as well. Uh, I read that paper, and I, again, 50, 60 pages. It wasn't until page 18 that they even brought up a scripture. So now, look, I've kind of done the same thing before. I gave you that, you know, you could say gobbledygook about the, you know, views of time with the cyclical and the, and, uh, the linear and, and, you know, and I'm talking about fractals and, and you know, hey, I, I need to fall in the same category. It's the word of the Lord that matters. The near and the far principle would be wonderful if the scriptures bear that out. Now, we'll see when we get to our example that that actually is a problem. And, and that, that's why I wanted to do this first. Because in the Exodus uh, account that we'll look at, well, 
when we get there, you'll see that uh, this is a limited view, so we, we sort of need to be careful. Okay, so going back to this, putting some puzzle pieces together in our studies, and we're thinking about problems that we might have. Here's some recommendations. We pour out the the puzzle pieces and start reading our Bibles, and let's get rid of the picture on the box. Let's just get rid of it, <laughs> and uh, and and not have any preconceived ideas and have to be locked into anything. And let the Scripture start building. We get in there, we study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, as hard as we can, understanding it all. We understand that on top of this, there is that cyclical nature of prophecy as we work our way through time. There's going to be things that are repeated over and over throughout the Bible. There is the fractal idea so that the story of God is in every chapter, every sentence, every word, and so forth. You, it's pregnant with truth. The whole Bible you know, with the near and the far, you might only, you wouldn't be looking in between for the fulfillment of a, a prophecy. You, you'd have to wait all the way to the end. But what we're saying here is that no, this this stuff gets repeated over and over again, and it's a story that you could see, and every bit is important. And uh, and 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 so then, with these things in mind, having this humble confident attitude not having a picture before us and just approaching the scriptures and uh, we'll just allow the Lord to bring the pieces together in a beautiful time and he will as things are unveiled to us it will become very clear and he'll fit the pieces together and uh, I, I have to think that as they do come together, it's going to be a, a really, really wonderful and good thing for us. So that's just a little bit of discussion about some of the problems and uh, some thoughts about maybe, you know, some suggestions about how we could approach it. We'll come to the uh, last uh, of our introductory studies concerning the end times, and uh, we're going to take a look at uh, an example here this time, the example of the Exodus. Um, and I want to read from uh, just a, a portion of a sermon given by Jacob Presh called The Future History of the Church. And uh, he uh, lays out uh, the Hebrew view of prophecy uh, and brings forth this, this idea of Midrash, Jewish Midrash. Um, let me read this. It, it brings a lot together for us. When Matthew writes his nativity narrative, uh, he says of Jesus, Out of Egypt I have called my son, Matthew 2.15, quoted from Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. The problem with this is that when you read Hosea chapter 11, you find that Hosea was talking about the Exodus when the children of Israel came out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses. Yet Matthew takes this seemingly out of all context and applies it to Jesus. However, the problem is not that Matthew took it out of context, but that the Western Church has taken a Jewish book and constructed its own rules of context. Matthew thought midrashically. He thought of prophecy as pattern. Let me explain. 
It begins with Abraham. God judged Pharaoh, and Abraham came out of Egypt, along with his descendants in Genesis. Abraham is the archetype, the father of all who believe. Then in Exodus, God again judges Pharaoh, the wicked king gets judged, and once again Abraham's descendants come out of Egypt. Thus the pattern begins. What happened to Israel replayed what happened first to Abraham. Just as Abraham received money from Pharaoh, so the Israelites plundered the Egyptians in Exodus. Next, Jesus comes out of uh, excuse me, lost my place. Next, Jesus comes out of Egypt after once again the wicked king, Herod this time, is judged. Midrashically, Israel alludes to Jesus. When you see things in scripture such as Israel my glory, Israel my firstborn son, Exodus 29:43, it is a madrashic allusion to the Messiah as even the rabbis know. Therefore Jesus, the embodiment of Israel, also comes out of Egypt. Just as the church is the body of Christ, so is Israel in some sense. Then in 1 Corinthians 10, we come out of Egypt ourselves. Egypt is a figure of this world. Pharaoh is a figure of the devil, who is the god of this world. And just as Moses goes into the mountain and makes a covenant with blood on behalf of the people, so does Jesus. Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, through the water, and into the promised land. Jesus leads us out of the world, through baptism, and into heaven. One is a type of the other, we all have an Exodus experience. But the ultimate meaning is the resurrection and rapture of the church. The same judgments that take place in the book of Exodus are replayed in the book of Revelation. In the same way that Pharaoh's magicians are, were able to counterfeit the miracles of Moses and Aaron, the Antichrist and his false prophet will be able to counterfeit the miracles of Jesus and his witnesses. Why is the song of Miriam, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider are thrown into the sea, sung in Revelation, Exodus 15.1, Revelation 15.3. The book of Exodus shows us that the destruction of Pharaoh was a typology of the destruction of the devil. Why did the Israelites bring Joseph's bones with them out of Egypt at the front of the procession? As the scriptures tell us in 1 Thessalonians 4:16 and 17, the dead in Christ will rise first, and we will come out together. Once again, the Hebrew idea of prophecy is that of a pattern being recapitulated. It is not a prediction, but a pattern with an ultimate fulfillment. That is the Hebrew concept of eschatological prophecy. In order to really begin to understand what the Bible teaches us about the last days, we have to stop thinking with a Western, Gentile, Hellenistic mind and begin thinking of the scriptures in the way the early church did. And again, that really ties a whole bunch together of what we talked about. Let's revisit this uh picture here, the sine wave, and we talked about the law um, of the near and far fulfillment. Now, I don't like the that we well, we talked about that. I don't. I think that limits us in our uh, uh, just in how we approach the scriptures, because what they're basically saying is that there is a 
near uh, prophecy. So prophecy is made. Uh, and if you were standing here, all you would, you know, you would see the near prophecy with its fulfillment. But at the same time, what is unknown to the viewer here is that there's also a, a far fulfillment of it. Now, what I had said and what Jacob Presh was just talking about in that sermon is that it, it's not just a, a you know a, a prediction and then a fulfillment, but it's a pattern, which means you could have all kinds of uh, you know if this was a modulating curve, we could have all kinds of uh, crests along the way here, and so there's a, there could be a lot going on between the initial prophecy and its ultimate. Fulfillment, and that is really, really important, I think, for the reading of our Bible and just to get the fullness of what God is saying. A quick example of that is the Exodus account. Now, I'm going to focus in on one thing here, and really, I said it's an example, it's just I'm going to give you some details. I'm going to really leave it to you to go and read these things and you know, study them out. Um, but if we focused on one aspect of the whole Exodus event, the slaughter of the innocents, uh, in three major events, we see this being replayed. So right there, that's one more than the, the near and the far. Um, go ahead and read Exodus 1 and 2. And, and you know already, but uh, focus in on what the Pharaoh is doing, and how Moses is saved out of it. And then we come to Matthew 1 and 2, and we have Mary and Joseph and our Lord Jesus Christ. You think about Herod and what he wanted to do with those children then, and how our Lord Jesus Christ was brought out of it. And then finally, read Revelation 12, and the sign that is given there of a woman who is ready to give birth and how the enemy is ready to devour the child and see once again what happens. So uh, a, a major thing that we've been bringing here in these introductory studies is is pictured here, that prophecy in the Bible as Jacob just spoke about in, in that sermon. It's about patterns. And uh, yes, there's the linear nature, but there's also the cycles. And uh, this is all throughout the Bible. Now, I encourage you to, to read Exodus 1 and 2, Matthew 1 and 2, Revelation 12. Those are you know, three really, really important sections there. But, uh, you know, for example, this, this past Sunday, we, we were in First in Samuel, uh, chapters 1 through 3, and you saw uh, uh, some information about this event there. Uh, we saw that, that Samuel uh, is the, the miracle child, and, and uh, after he is weaned by his mother, he's then dedicated at the temple to forever be with the Lord or the tabernacle. And at the same time that that's happening, which is an, another you know, element, another part of this whole story, the bad guys are getting kicked out. We saw that replayed in uh, Matthew 21 as the Lord comes in lowly on a donkey and and uh, he, he goes into the temple and he, 
he drives out the money changers. They're out. And then the kids are in the temple playing. And he speaks about the praise that comes out of the mouth of the babes. So uh, this is a very, very important element uh, of... Uh, I think understanding prophecy and coming to a, a, a full understanding, it's knowing all of the scriptures, all of the Bible. Uh, Ecclesiastes 1, 9 through 10, that which has been is what will be, that which is done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see this is new, it has already been in ancient times before us. And then in chapter 3, I know that whatsoever things God has done, they shall be forever. It is impossible to add to it, and it is impossible to take away from it. And God has done it, that men may fear before him. That which has been is now, and whatever things are appointed to be have already been. And God will seek out that which is past. I want to end um, with probably the most important idea. Save the best for last. <laughs> um, it's a section of scripture that you know, but maybe there'll be an added element to it now. John chapter 13, Jesus washes feet. And he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you, before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Jesus washes feet. He's a servant. You know, you are what you do. <laughs> you are what you do. And I think uh it's a good good to end here because faith without works is dead. We want to have a living faith. And as we do as the master does, he will speak to us about things that are to come. I think of the context here. There was a betrayer amongst them, Judas. Nobody knew who he was. Nobody knew. <laughs> and and Jesus is speaking about Scripture. He says, as, the, as it was spoken about in Scripture, he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. If we are doers of the word, if we are the friends of God, if we're humble and we love him, the Lord is going to open up scriptures to us like this. He's going to open up our eyes so that we could see things to come. And that's exactly what he said there in this text. Now I tell you before it comes, 
that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Later on, when they under they got it, they're like, oh man, he was telling us all along. And boy, may that happen more and more to us, that we get more and more knowledge, not new revelation, but that which has already been spoken about since the beginning. There's nothing new under the sun. And God speaks it all from beginning to end. He is the great I Am. And uh, for us, may the puzzle pieces come together. (laughs) And uh, may we be blessed. May we be happy because we are doing the scriptures as Jesus spoke about. Pray this has been a blessing for you. And Lord willing, we shall move on to uh, some other studies uh, along the way.